Hello, and welcome to episode 8 of Friends of the Show. I am your host, Stephen William Skinner, and this is my podcast where I have a convo with one of my Twitter friends. This week's friend is the multi-talented Gwen Lawson at Ms. Gwen L on Twitter. Um, you can give her a follow on there, and also check out her website at GwenLawson.info. Now, this was a fun chat. We had uh, a talk about some of the perils and challenges of living abroad in your 20s. And uh, yeah, without further ado, let's get right into it. Episode 8 with Gwen Lawson. A book must be the axe for the frozen sea within us. Kafka said that, but I like to think that if he had lived today, it might have been about a tweet. (laughs) Thank you very much for that quote, Gwen. Um, so the guest today on the episode is Miss Gwen L on Twitter, uh, Gwen Lawson. So welcome to the show, Gwen. Thank you so much, Stephen. I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome. So what made you choose that quote? Then you thought that would be a tweet. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just a big fan of books. I, there were a couple other Shakespeare quotes that I considered, but I ultimately thought that that one kind of summed up almost everything that I have to say about literature or think about literature, just that it has the power to wake something up inside of you. So it's a very important part of your life, you'd say. I mean, I ride the subway a lot, you know, like <laughs> I'm a New Yorker. So yeah, books are books are pretty important to me. So you got a lot of time to read, you're saying? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or listen to podcasts. <laughs> that too. <laughs> But reading is good. It's probably better, right? Better to read than to podcast. But you could also listen to an audiobook, I guess. Meet halfway. You know, I never got into audiobooks. Yeah, I don't I don't uh, really do it either. Um, but some of them are good. If you can really get if you get like a good author, author reading it or uh, a good performer um, reading it, it can be really good. I am very very with you there. The only thing that I don't love about audiobooks is that the actor informs my perception of a character mm. and that's not necessarily what I want. True. You're being led. Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, well, for the listeners, uh, just a little bit about uh, Gwen. Um, I was a fan of hers, I think, before we became uh, pals online. Uh, I followed her for a while, and she had a great sense of humor, really funny, uh, great tweets. And I've recently learned that she is multi-talented, acting, doing voice acting, and writing, obviously, long-form pieces. So kind of a triple threat there, Gwen. Um, and singing, <laughs> too. I think I saw a video of you singing, and it was very lovely. So, yeah, Gwen. Really happy to have you. Thank you again for joining us this week. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Gosh, this is like (laughs) hearing you say that I'm like, you know what? I should update my website. (laughs) I haven't done any voiceover in a long time. Um, I have a day job. It keeps me pretty busy. I like it a lot. So when I'm not at work, I tend to do a lot of comedy performance because that is is an art form that like pretty much happens at night whereas back in my acting days I absolutely could not have had a job that like I couldn't leave during the work day it's funny you know like all of the actors want to be waiters because you make your money 
as, as a waiter, you make most of your money at night, and all of the comedians want to be desk jockeys because when you work in corporate America, you make your money during the day. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it goes without saying, not either comedy nor acting pay much. <laughs> no, that is true. Yeah, you're really just kind of grinding it out until you catch a break, maybe. Yeah, totally. Well, that's pretty good. So you do comedy uh, pretty regularly. Um, I think you said that you had a storytelling show that you run? I do a lot of storytelling shows. I'm not hosting anything currently. My friend Anna and I have a multimedia variety show called Movie Buffs. Shockingly, it is about movies. (laughs) And we do that sometimes. Um, And I hosted a mic for a little while a couple months ago, and then the theater I was hosting at went under. Womp womp. Um, So I'm not hosting anything currently, but I do a fair amount of shows, which land on my website, uh, which is www.gwenlawson.info. I did not get the .com because a real estate agent in Massachusetts has it, so now I have a .info and a vendetta. Oh, that sucks. You couldn't get your .com. Unlike I re- me. No, I should really buy, like, <laughs> Gwen-Lawson.com, but um, I'm still pissed that I don't have yeah, Gwen-Lawson.com. That does suck. I mean, uh, I think SteveSkinner.com is a website, but it is very, very bad. So, listeners, go check that out right now. It is awful. Nothing like the well-put-together StephenWSkinner.com <laughs> at the host of the website um, where we host the podcast. So. Uh, <laughs> nice. Well, apparently you have a vendetta, too. Yeah, I mean, I would have loved to get just stevenskinner.com, but uh, I have a W in my name now because I don't want to be confused for the uh, alleged murderer, Stephen Skinner, who was just extradited to Canada to face trial for double murder. So it's Oh my god, is that a thing? Yeah, that's why I put the W in my name. So now I'm uh, Stephen W. Skinner, just, just to avoid that, <laughs> any unpleasant Just trait. to avoid just an avoid unsavory any, comparison. Exactly, yeah. When people, I want to, don't want people Googling my name and the first suggested thing is like murder. <laughs> I don't blame you there. I had no idea, though. This is a, this is a new story for me. Um, I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is where... The serial killer, uh, Charles Starkweather, also grew up. Oh, good. Yeah. And uh, this this house is, where he committed what is possibly his most brutal murder. I mean, he, he slaughtered an entire family. Oh, no. um, is a couple blocks away from my parents' house. Right. So we and were right there. Once when I was uh, in the car with my best friend in high school... We turned onto that block, and my best friend goes, don't say it. And I was like, what What are you talking about? And he goes, you are about to point out the Starkweather murder house to me, and you have done it half a dozen times before, and I do not need you to do it again. Mm, busted. Yeah, right? <laughs> so you were going to do that, though, right? Oh, I absolutely was. Yeah. I was, like, taking a breath to tell him just when he was like, uh-uh. Yeah, he knew. He's been through this before. So, yeah, so this guy got away with like a lot of murders before he was caught. Um, I don't know how many. Or was it just like you know? One? I am not like uh, uh, uh I don't know, like a, like it, a murder super fan. It kind of sounded like, like you knew a lot about um, this one specific. But Stark he went to my murder. middle school, and I really hated my middle school. And I think that his infamy kind of uh, kind of stuck with me for that reason. Right, because you went to the same school, so like his. 
his legacy or whatever was there permeated yeah, the halls. Totally. Um, I was like, well, well, no wonder this is such a shitty place. It turns out shitty, shitty people. I really hated middle school. Right. And in Lincoln, Nebraska, right? Yes, sir. So what's the other thing that that's known for? God, <laughs> what is Nebraska for? Uh, Kool-Aid was invented there. What? That is huge. That is, huge. that is huge. I was also not allowed to have Kool-Aid. I grew up in an organic foods household. So that is like Nebraska's legacy that I never personally experienced. Oh, wow. You never burst through your uh, wall of your house and you took a deep sip of the delicious Kool-Aid? <laughs> no, I did not. Although the neighbor boy did burst through our basement wall once when we were like vaulting on some old mattresses. Oh, really? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Flew through Kicked the wall. right through the wall. It was, uh, I'm sure my parents regretted giving us, like they, they, they literally put a pile of old mattresses and box springs in the basement, which we used as our playroom. And we, I mean, it is kind of a miracle retrospectively that none of us ever broke our necks. Mm. Like we bounced all around the fucking house on those things. We used to like ride them like sleds down the stairways of my parents' houses. House, singular. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun, actually. (laughs) It was pretty awesome. And I'm glad that no one got hurt, but sounds like definitely not the safest situation, but... Those were the days, right, when you could do that. And, you know, kids are resilient. Definitely. Yeah, and who, you know, it's there was mattresses. That's safe enough, right? Totally. Well, that was a nice, those are nice little bonus anecdotes that we're getting. Um, so <laughs> it, it kind of leads us into your story that you're going to share with us. Uh, and it is entitled, I've given it the title, A Mouse in Me Flat. Oh, that's adorable. That's absolutely perfect. So, uh, the, yeah, um, you had a mouse, I guess, in your in London? I had a mouse in London. So what were you doing and in London? And to provide a little context yeah, there, um, when I was 20 years old, truly the only thing that I wanted in the world was a little bit of independence, which is not, like, weird. Um, I think that's probably, like, what being 20 is for. Yes, perfectly but, normal. The desire to get independence in your 20s. Totally. But I had this like very, very specific idea of what independence looked like. Uh, from a really young age, I had always wanted to live alone in a big city. Like when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, I would sit on my parents' dial-up internet and look at real estate listings in Chicago and London and New York and Paris and just you know, like envision what my life would be like in these places. So when I was 20 and I got the opportunity to go to London to study acting, I jumped on it. I mean, I did not hesitate. I had a plane ticket immediately. And because I had this really specific idea of what my independent adult life was going to look like, I did not sign up for student housing. Uh Uh-oh. Yep. Um, I decided that I was going to go to London and I was going to find a studio apartment and that was going to be like the beginning of my adulthood. Now, mind you, I had never rented before in my life. I had lived with my parents and in the dorms. I had never lived in another country before. Um, I was completely and totally unprepared to do all of this. And I spent my first two weeks in London 
crying at various empty apartments. Like I would go check out an apartment. Um, everything I could afford was totally shitty. I would hate it. And then I would go cry. I eventually found a tiny little studio in South Kensington. Uh, I picked it because the neighborhood was nice, but the studio itself was a nightmare. Like, the carpet was so bald that you could see the floor below it in certain spots. Yikes. And when I moved in, there was a two-inch hole in my front door, and the landlord did not repair it for about three weeks. Uh, it was so old that I paid for electricity by putting pound coins into a meter on the wall. Oh, wow. That's interesting. That uh, was something. And then the kicker, it had mice. Well, that two-inch hole in the door is not helping the mice situation. Yeah. You know, that is actually where a deadbolt belonged. Like, before that, I just had one of those little sliding locks on the outside of the door. And, you know, like, when I when I looked at the place... By that point, I realized that I was in way over my head, and I couldn't actually afford to rent in London, and it had been like a huge mistake to do so. So I looked at this place, and I was like, okay, well, if I sign a lease, you're, you're going to fix this hole in the door, right? Because that just seems like a giant security problem. And uh, it was the building manager who was showing it to me, and he was like, yes, yes, of course, of course, that's getting fixed. Of course we fix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. When you imagine that, think of, like, the London equivalent of a Brooklyn mafioso dialect. Like, <laughs> I was too stupid to realize how shady it was. But, um, yeah, it took way too long to fix that fucking hole in the door. Yeah, and did so uh, did you have uh, run-ins with the mice? So, you know, I, I, like, found a couple mouse droppings, and um, I bought a bag of oatmeal, <laughs> which the mice found very, very quickly. I didn't actually see them, but I knew I had them, so I let the landlord know, and, um, you know, I don't know what I thought was going to happen. I'm realizing very quickly that the theme of this whole story is basically that, like, 20-year-old me is really stupid, <laughs> but he set a bunch of traps which really upset me. Like, again, I don't know what I expected, but um, as much as I didn't want to live with mice, I also did not want to live with dead mice. So I was really bummed when he put out the traps. But then they never seemed to catch anything, so I just kind of forgot about it and um, moved on with my life Yeah, just like for a, live, a little while. <laughs> oh, no. Like a live and let live for a bit situation. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, as I said, for a while, they didn't catch anything. And I was like, well, I mean, I guess I just have to, you know, put all of my food in airtight containers and uh, maybe they'll go away on their own. Yeah, no maybe more they leaving. found a better place to be, you know, like yeah. maybe they're in Mouse Utopia right now. All good. All fine. <laughs> yeah, they went to live on a farm upstate, up in uh, <laughs> yeah. the north. Precisely. Upstate London, that's probably like Islington. But hey... I'd never been to Islington. For all I knew, mice were very happy there. Yeah, those Islington mice got it good. Totally. Um, so I figured that my mouse problem was solved, and I, I, uh, I lived my life. You know, I did my thing. I, I made friends. I studied acting. I uh, went away with some friends to Dublin for a long weekend, and... We were taking this, like, 4 a.m. flight back to London. We did not realize that Dublin as a city 
pretty much shuts down around midnight. We had planned to just be out all night and uh, get to the airport, I don't know, around like three in the morning or, you know, basically in time to get on our flight. Yeah, just and we realized, stumble into uh, the airport. <laughs> so we realized pretty quickly that... After about 12 p.m., there was absolutely nothing in Dublin to do. So we just went straight to the airport and decided to try and sleep there for a couple hours. And it turned out that the airport had no heat. I mean, we might as well have been sleeping outside on a park bench. And um, I developed a terrible fever. Like, I got back to London, and I slept for 48 hours straight. Like, when I got up to use the bathroom, I was hallucinating. Um, I was told that one of my friends called me and tried to check up on me in that time, and apparently I picked up. But I have literally no memory of that whatsoever. Wow, that's scary. Um, Go ahead. No, that's a scary fever to have. Especially oh, out of I country, was right? Very, very sick, and I was very, very alone. I mean, remember, like I'd never lived alone before. I wasn't in student housing, so there was nobody nearby who could lend a hand. The mice um, weren't even there to help. I should mention at this point too that this was the fall. I think it was November when this happened. And that summer, I had had a really bad case of mono. Mm. Like I had been very, very, very sick. Uh, not you know, not too long before this happened. And I'm sure that that's part of why this this flu really knocked me out. And it was probably about the third day of me being homesick when I woke up to this terrible, terrible noise. And uh, at first, I figured I was hallucinating because, you know, as I said, I, I had been doing a whole lot of that. And I tried to go back to sleep, and it didn't go away. And very slowly, it dawned on me that this was not something that was happening in a dream. It was something that was happening, like in reality, in my apartment. And when I realized that it was real, I just knew, like right away, I knew that this sound, this like clicking and screeching sound that I was hearing Uh was the sound of a mouse who had been caught but not killed by one of the traps and was now running around my apartment, dragging the trap behind it and screaming in pain. Yeah, that's the worst case scenario. Those are like the snap traps, right? The they yep don't really use those anymore. But uh, yeah, it's not great. Oh god, it was fucking awful. I should say at this point too, like I am a PC hippie vegan. Um, I like volunteer with animal rescue. Uh, like I said, I I really don't like dead animals as much as I don't like mice. I like dead ones even less. And I was so upset. Like, I was terrified of the mouse, but I was also just, like, crippled with guilt over the fact that I had done this mouse so much harm. So I finally managed to drag myself out of bed, and I turn on the light, and even though I knew exactly what I was going to see, when I turned on the light, it still, like, horrified me. I, like, jumped on a chair and immediately started crying. Because I had never been on my own before, and I had literally no resources to rely upon, I did the most logical thing I could think of, which was calling my parents in Nebraska at 3 a.m. from London. Right. I mean, it seemed, it seemed reasonable at the time. Yeah, so, a little bit of comfort from home. You know, I thought that they would know what to do, and I thought that there would be some, like, easy way out of this, like, oh, yeah, 
everybody knows how to release spring traps and how to set the broken arm of a mouse. Um, I was so sick that my parents at first did not recognize my voice. I was so hysterical that when they finally realized it was me, at first they thought that I'd like been in a terrible car accident or something. Oh, yeah. Uh, but over the course of probably about 45 minutes of me screaming and crying, they managed to convince me that the mouse is not going to live and that the best thing I can do is put it out of its misery. Yeah, good advice, I guess. I guess. Um, and at this point, I am, like, bawling. I mean, the last thing I want to do is kill a mouse, but I kind of already have killed it. Mm. And uh, I was really not ready to face that reality. And I was really, really devastated that this, like, very injured and half-dead mouse was running all over my apartment. And I was also really, really terrified because even though it was probably only about two inches long, those things are fucking scary. So the mouse had tried to run under my bed, and my bed at the time was one of those beds with, like, large underbed storage drawers built in. So there was only about a half inch of space between the bottom of the bed and the floor, which meant that the mouse could fit under, but the trap could not. Uh-oh. Yep. So I knew exactly where it was, and I figured that I would suffocate it. So I got, like, this plastic container from my kitchen... And I, like, pulled it out from under the bed by the trap, and I was screaming and crying. I mean, I was completely hysterical. Like, I still had a really high fever, so I was only, like, semi-lucid. And it just felt like a living fucking nightmare. And I put the mouse in the container, and I put the container in a bag, and I put it in my hallway, and I just, like, dragged myself to bed. And I turn out the lights... And I hear a knock. So I, I, I get back out of bed and I turn the lights back on and I open my door and there's no one there. And I figure, great, like I'm, I'm fucking hallucinating again. Like that's just what, I, just what I need tonight. I close the door, I lock the door, I turn off the lights, I go back to bed. And then there's the knock again. So I go to the door and I open it and once again there's nobody there. But this time I was like, hello. I didn't have much of a voice by that point because, remember, I'd been screaming for the past two hours. But I hear somebody from a neighboring doorway say, are you all right? And I was kind of like, um, I guess so. And this poor man and woman come out of the neighboring apartment looking just like shell-shocked. I mean, they looked completely horrified and they were like are you sure you're all right and the only thing that i could manage to say in my like febrile state was there was a mouse <laughs> and they just kind of like went totally blank like like they didn't understand me they were just like uh there was a, ma a mouse there, there was a mouse and i was like yeah it was a mouse and they were like, are you alone? And I was like, yes. And they were like, all right, and, and you're sure that you're all right? And I was like, yeah, it was a mouse. And they were like, all right, all right, well, we're glad that you're okay. And then they turned and they went into their apartment. And the last thing they said to me was, we thought you were getting stabbed. <laughs> well, I guess they'd be glad you're okay then. 
<laughs> I guess so. Oh, I still feel not so good about it. Like, yes, yeah, like uh, a nightmarish honestly, scenario. If I woke up to hear my neighbors screaming and sobbing, that is probably what I would think as well. Um, but what can I say? As I said, the theme of that story seems to be that 20-year-old me was really fucking stupid and not in any way ready for independence. Well, it's a great, you know, one of those life lessons, and it's good to look back on and be like, yeah, I'm much better now. Like, if that happened to you today, right, you'd be able to handle it a little better? Oh, there was a palmetto bug in my apartment about three weeks ago, and I think I only screamed twice. So, um, it's a definite improvement. Yeah, baby steps, but we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> yeah, so 20-year-old Gwen, it's okay. <laughs> I guess the difference is, now I have cats, so whenever there is something in my apartment that shouldn't be, I can just, like, hand off responsibility for it. Yeah, you got yourself some, uh, some mouse guards. Yeah, exactly. Like... Pretty much, they just lie around and play all day, but about twice a year, they have to earn their keep, and when that happens, I am very grateful for them. Oh, that's good. Yeah, keep them around, just make sure they stay sharp for that twice a year <laughs> when they're needed, they're exactly. called upon to perform their duty. Well, that's good. I'm glad that you're protected now from this scenario happening again in the future. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. You know, I've been lucky um, with mice in New York, like... I I had one when I lived in Greenpoint, and um, when I brought home my, my cat, I think it just smelled it because I never heard from it again, and I also never found uh, – <laughs> I never found any remains. Right. Just, so I think it just kind of figured, up. Oh, my time here is up. Yeah, it's like uh, maybe I'll not live with cats. <laughs> exactly. So New York, yeah, that's kind of like a, a rat and mouse kind of city. Uh, you ever see Pizza Rat? Oh my god, my friend Matt took that video. What? Your friend took the Pizza Rat video? That's nuts. Yes, he did. Wow, that's cool. Because I was like, Pizza Rat's pretty famous. I'm uh, just wondering if you've ever seen him. But your friend literally did see him. Or Yeah, oh yeah, he took the video. He's the one that you can hear being like, hey little guy. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny, there's been a lot of speculation about whether or not he got set up. I mean, I can like 100% confirm that he did not personally uh, train Pizza Rat, but there's this performance artist who claims that she did. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, this just I don't think I believe it because I'm not sure that rats can be trained, and I'm pretty sure everybody likes pizza, but she has been in the news using an obvious pseudonym i think that she calls herself like xenon or something uh but she claims that she like trains rats to play pranks on people of course someone named xenon would try to <laughs> train a pizza rat yeah that sounds about right yeah I, in my estimation that all makes complete sense <laughs> but yeah pizza rat that's really cool well six degrees of separation of pizza rat to you <laughs> Yeah, totally. Plus, I mean, from the mice, one degree yeah. in my case, you know, like I'm, I'm almost friends with a celebrity. Yeah, you're one the celebrity being away. pizza rat. Yeah, that's awesome. So, okay, great story. Thank you so much for reliving that nightmarish experience for us. 
And now we move on to the tweets. So I have asked you to send in some tweets of your own devising, and you have sent them in. So the first tweet uh, goes like this. This is your pilot speaking. We're about three hours from our destination. So since we've got some time, you guys want to hear my stand-up set? (laughs) Classic pilot humor, right? Thank you. I like to think so. Um, I, I wrote that when I was on vacation, and I was just kind of thinking about uh, about all of like the crazy day jobs that people in comedy have. We actually kind of covered this territory already, but I've always thought that a captive audience is a very, very dangerous thing for a comedian to have. Right, yeah. So you got like the the pilot talking to his uh, his passengers, every every new group of passengers, a new, like, open mic audience. Totally. I mean, that pilot gets in a lot of reps. Yeah, for sure. I guess other ones, sort of like transportation ones, bus drivers, Uber drivers, for sure, probably get people captive and just go off. Oh, man, that would drive me crazy. Yeah. I don't think that I have ever been driven by somebody who is like trying to, or at least somebody who lets me know that they're like trying to get their career off the ground. But honestly, I'm kind of shocked it doesn't happen more often. Yeah, you'd think, especially in the Big Apple. Totally. Everyone's trying to make it. Everyone's got a dream. What, a million stories in the Naked City, <laughs> etc. <cetera>. There you <laughs> go. Well, that was a great one. So you thought of it on vacation because you were obviously flying somewhere. Exactly. Uh, where were you flying to? Italy. Ah, good. I don't know any Italian, but I am married to someone of Italian descent. (laughs) Oh, well, you should ask her then. She doesn't know either, but her dad for sure would be able to drop a phrase in. Okay, good to know. Fair enough. Um, After we wrap up this conversation, I expect you to call him and, uh, you know, ask him how to handle it when Italy comes up in future conversations for your podcast's sake. Yeah, I'll definitely get a couple of... uh, tourist phrases uh into the old vocab so i can throw them in the mix i know we have a, l- a little bit of uh italian coming up later in the show Ooh, you know about that because you've seen the question <laughs> oh yeah that's right okay so great first tweet so the second tweet is like this always a bridesmaid never a new world order leader in a post-apocalyptic all-powerful matriarchy sigh <laughs> So that kind of uh that's kind of kind of your style, right? Your feminist leaning sort of smash the patriarchy view, right? That is completely accurate. Yes. Um I wouldn't even say that I am feminist leaning. I would say that I am a full-blown radical vegan nightmare feminist with two cats. Yeah, not on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just lost a whole lot of men's rights activist listeners Guys, in that come moment. Back. Men, come back to the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's great. I am completely support uh, all of all of the uh my feminist allies. I, I try to help it out. Try to help it out by, you know, doing what I can. But it's tough as a the enemy <laughs> of everything. Oh no, you're not the enemy. Patriarchy hurts men too. Um, yeah, there is plenty of room for people who are not women in feminism. Um, I welcome men to feminism, but. I do not welcome men's rights activists into my timeline, and oh boy, do I get a whole lot of them. 
You do, yeah. So, so you've uh, attracted them to your timeline. They they feel the need to reach out. So, what's your worst uh, MRA experience, or what's your worst troll experience? Oh God, uh, you know, I usually block them, and I usually don't think much of it. Um, you know, most of them aren't that nasty. Most of them are just kind of like. You're crazy. Women are crazy. <laughs> Occasionally, somebody will say something really ugly. And, um, you know, this is a family podcast, so I won't repeat any of those things. It's not like I just told a horror story about a half-dead mouse or anything. Oh, um, also, epilogue on that mouse horror story. When I went to take the mouse out in the morning... It was not dead. I had, like, not secured the lid of the container on properly. And it was very much still alive. And um, at that point, I just couldn't bring myself to to try to kill it again. So I, I, I took it out. In a, in a bag in the not fully sealed container. And in my head, it managed to, like live out the mouse version of 127 hours and like amputate its own arm and become a badass activist for people with disabilities. Okay, but um, yeah. that's probably not how it ended. You know, probably not, but there's no reason to think that it couldn't have happened right in some universe, at least. Absolutely. Somewhere in the multiverse, that mouse lived and went on to be a powerful rodent activist. Yeah. Powerful mouse speaker uh, doing the circuit. Getting paid lots of cheese. Oh, undoubtedly. Well, that was a good, nice little epilogue, a bonus, but bonus epilogue to the story. And thank you for your feminism. Uh, that's it. <laughs> feminism. <laughs> you are so welcome. Uh, okay, so the third tweet that we have here from Miss Gwen L is. Uh, so it has some emojis in it. So I'll just try to read these. Um, <laughs> it goes. You up means I want you. Uh, uh, what's the, what is the emoji? Eggplant emoji and peach emoji? <laughs> Question mark. I want you and I'm 19. Uh, nightcap means I want you and have a college degree. And beast with two backs means I want you and I'm Shakespeare. <laughs> God, you know, I really did not think when I submitted that one about how, how it would be, be read. read. Yeah. <laughs> For all future guests listening, please do easy to read tweets. Like we've had some with really weird stage direction and spelling that makes it really funny. And it's hard to, um, you know, read those kind of tweets on a audio only format. But uh appreciate that you said, sending in the tweets That said, there is listening anyway. in the audience right now who can't envision an eggplant emoji and a peach emoji and know exactly what it means. Oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely eggplant emoji is notorious in the sexting world. <laughs> it's true. You know, I'm surprised that the yam emoji isn't more popular. Oh, yeah. Good point. Good point. Huh? Where are yam people at? Where are my yam heads? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, do people really prefer eggplants to yams? Like, I don't know, man. It doesn't seem – that does not seem aligned with the standard American diet. That's, no, that's all that's I'm true. saying. Yeah. A lot of questions being raised here. Um, so what – how do you think of this one? Is it – were you uh, texting someone? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I, I, I came across Beast with Two Backs somewhere – um, you know, obviously, obviously that's Shakespeare. I think Othello. it's from Othello. Yes. And it just occurred to me that some things are 
ages old. You know, certainly sexting is a modern phenomenon, but trying to talk people into sleeping with you certainly is not. Age old. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's just what made me think of that. So it's the juxtaposition of uh, the olden days meets the modernity and uh, yeah, how some language sticks with us and some like desires, I guess, stick with us. That is a much more elegant way of putting it. Yes, exactly that. And also eggplant emoji, eggplant emoji, uh, teardrop emoji. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one too. Although I sort of feel like you don't send that to somebody like that you want to hook up with. You know, I feel like you send that to your buds after you hooked up. Ah, got it. So you would And you know what? I'm sure there is a Shakespearean equivalent of that too. <laughs> yeah, probably. If uh, any listeners know the Shakespearean equivalent, please send it into the show. <laughs> oh, I would be thrilled. I would be thrilled to discuss that. So you heard it here, folks. You'll get some feedback. Um, well, thank you for submitting those tweets, Gwen. Great job. Really funny tweets. A uh, lot of really good stuff coming from the Gwen account. Oh, thank you so much for featuring them. There, there are a few things I like better than talking about myself. <laughs> yep. Uh, love, love a guest who doesn't mind to talk about themselves. <laughs> so, okay, now we're moving on to the tweets from others that you have selected. Um, and the first one is from friend of the show, the very first guest that we've ever had, Jess at Jess okay, Fine. Um, and it's a great Jess tweet. So it is like this. Uh, me at a job interview. And how seriously does your company take allegations of witchcraft? <laughs> I love that one. I love that one so, so, so much. It's classic Jess. It's uh, a little bit absurd, but based in reality and just really funny. Um, yeah, good pick, I would say. Yeah, you know, when I went to pick these, uh, it, it, it was not easy because I think in the two years that I've been on Twitter, I have liked something like 100,000 different tweets. Um, I, I am not liberal with the likes. I typically only hit that button if I genuinely and truly like it. So there was much to choose from, and it was very difficult to set criteria for how to choose. But what I eventually settled on was that any tweet that makes me wish to God that I had thought of it instead mm -hmm. is a damn good tweet. You know, that's a great criteria for any future guests listening. If you have uh, trouble picking the tweets, because I know there's a million really funny tweets, and we all know so many really good ones, just, uh, yeah, use that as the criteria, and it makes it a little bit easier. So thanks for that. And be time. Thanks for the tip. All right, next tweet from friend of the show, Ray, at Sir Eviscerate. Um, and the tweet is, Hi, my name's Ray. I'll be drawing your blood today. As soon as I finish this, Capri Sun misses hole four times, then punches straw through the bag. <laughs> it's a classic Capri Sun visual. <laughs> it is the visual that makes that tweet work, just because you can see it happening in your mind's eye so clearly. And I swear to God, when I read that tweet, I like, I like put my hands over the insides of my elbows. I was like right there in that medical examiner's office being like, oh God, oh God, oh God. <laughs> it affected you in a visceral way. It put you Absolutely. in the tweet. Yeah, you really felt it. And we've all been there. I mean, like if you've had uh, any kind of blood work done, when they miss, 
It's not great. <laughs> you don't it's want not that. great. It's true. It's bad. So a lot of people have nightmares about that. And I think Ray has maybe caused some nightmares about that <laughs> with this tweet uh, about it. So the third and final tweet that you have selected from other people is from our friend Alexa at the Wooden Slurpee. Uh, and the tweet is, I love raccoons. Part cat, part dog, part rodent, part bear, little people hands. What's not to like? <laughs> Classic. I mean, do you Another like, great one. Do you like raccoons? We like raccoons here at the show. You know, I like raccoons a lot in theory. They're fascinating animals. Like, they're really, really smart, but that also makes them kind of terrifying. Yes, I My agree. high school zoology teacher had a pet raccoon. Um, what? I think she, yeah, I think she found it as a baby. And um, she lived in the country. And I think that Mama Raccoon was hit by a car. So she, like, bottle-raised this, this raccoon. And she named it Cassandra. Right. And because it was a zoology class, she brought her in to, to our class one day. And one of the first things she said was, okay, um, please zip your bags and your backpacks because Cassandra will go through them. And then she was like, actually, you know what? No, no, don't zip them. Just like go put them on the lab tables in the back. You know, those are really high up. So we all went and we, we put our bags up on the lab tables while her raccoon was like wandering through the room during the lesson. What? And uh, we were facing, yep, so we were facing away from the lab tables, mm -mm. and, you know, she was in the front of the room lecturing us, and all of a sudden she goes, Cassandra, no. <laughs> and we turn around, and the raccoon has pulled the drawers out from under the lab tables to, like, make steps. Oh, nice. Yeah, and she was climbing up, the, uh, up these, like, steps that she constructed out of drawers to get into people's bags. Genius. Cassandra, you genius. Genius, right? Like, raccoons are a little scary. They might be one step ahead of you. They are kind of scary, and we do have a lot of them here in Ontario as well, southern Ontario. We have them all over the place. Like, they live in the tree, and then at night, but a boom huge family of raccoons. You're like, how many? It's like a clown car coming out of the tree, like six or seven come out of the tree. <laughs> right to the And they're wearing bins. little red noses too, right? Yeah, and they, yeah, they're little hands. They just open up the garbage, check it out, get what they need, and head back up the tree. Oh, um, man, oh, man. Are you in Toronto? Uh, yeah, just outside uh, in Hamilton, actually. Oh, okay, okay. My sister-in-law is from somewhere on the outskirts of Toronto. Is I'm not the... sure if it's Hamilton, but uh, something like that. We can say the GTA. Beautiful. The Love it. Greater Toronto area. Or as Drake would say, the six. Oh, I like that better. Let's be Drake. <laughs> yeah, Drake is Drake's pretty cool. Um, so maybe he'll come onto the podcast. Drake, if you're listening, invite Stan. I would like to come back for that episode, please. <laughs> Definitely you could have you on as a co-host. If Drake nice. says, if Drake says yes, only if Drake says yes. Um okay, so so the questions from Twitter, that's what we're doing now. And be sure dun, dun, dun. <laughs> And uh for those listening, be sure to follow at FOTS Pod to submit a question and hear it asked on a future episode. Thank you to everyone who has submitted questions, um especially for episodes that aren't airing for weeks and weeks to come. They will be answered. So the first question is the Italian question submitted by friend of the show Bex at Bexdora. 
and I will try to read it. You will be able to understand, right? <laughs> if I... I, I think so. Okay, all right. Hold on. Let me open Twitter right now so that I can read along with you. Yes, and I will try to read this. Per favore, descrivi il tuo cappello preferito. Formaggio, vegan preferito, o il tuo riplimento di bagel preferito? Oh, molto buono! Hey, grazie! <laughs> okay, so that lovely Italian question from Bexdora was asking... Okay, now here's where my Italian gets wonky. Um, I am pretty certain that capelli is hair, but I also think that since I have hats in my bio, she might be talking about hats. So I wonder if those words are interchangeable, and I'm not completely certain if I'm supposed to describe my favorite hair or my favorite hats. I am pretty sure it is your favorite topping for a bagel. That's the last question. Oh, is it? Oh, maybe. Mm -hmm. might, oh, yeah, you're yes. right. It is so describe your favorite hair slash hat. Not hat. sure which. It's got to be going to Google right now and figure it out. Um, describe your favorite vegan cheese and describe your favorite bagel topping. Got it. See, I got most of it. I'm like most of the way there. Okay, and um, you don't have to answer in Italian, but maybe that's what Bex is demanding. Oh, non so. Non parlo molto italiano adesso. I think that's um, good enough, <laughs> saying that you can't do it. Okay, so I have confirmed. Capello and, uh, is hat, and capelli is hair. So, they are the same word. This is uh, very, very confusing for native English speakers, but I guess what it ultimately signifies is something that goes on top of your head. Okay, so let's go with hats. I have a big, big black felt hat that looks like something a witch would wear in Greenwich, Connecticut, and I love it. Um, it is enormous. It is truly, truly enormous. So, I feel like I don't have to make much of an effort with everything else I wear <laughs> like right. when, really I, when I put it on. Eye. Like the hat itself is a statement maker, which I love because there's nothing I like better than looking good with no effort whatsoever. Perfect. Um, my favorite vegan cheese. You know, that's a tough question because when I first gave up dairy, I decided that I was going to have to like make a true clean break and just not like, you know, try any dairy substitutes so that I didn't get my heart broken. And um, when I went vegan nine years ago, fake cheese was awful. I mean, it tasted like gamey fucking plastic. It was the worst. Yeah. So I don't eat a lot of fake cheese. But I will say, and this is kind of like a two birds with one stone answer, there is a vegan cream cheese that is made out of almonds. And it is cultured the same way that dairy cheese is, and it works damn well on a bagel. So I do sometimes put vegan cream cheese on my bagels. Uh, the one I like is from Kite Hill. You can buy it at Whole Foods. They didn't pay me to say that, although if they <laughs> want to pay me, that would be fine. Um, yeah, and it's really good. Well, there you have it, Bex. Bagels with vegan cream cheese recommended by Gwen. Molto buono. <laughs> and sorry about butchering that Italian to all my Italian listeners. You know, it actually wasn't bad. Oh, great. Cool. So the next question comes from friend of the show, Jess at Jess OK Fine. Already been mentioned. Uh, her question, what are the best and worst things about Twitter? Uh, that's 
the first question. And the second question, what's your favorite place in the world and why? Why? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that she said it exactly like that while she was ty- typing it. You know, I think that the best thing about Twitter is that it is equally accessible to everybody. Um, often the people who have the most popular Twitter accounts aren't people who got famous on another platform. You know, it's not necessarily people who are on TV shows or who were already well-known before they started tweeting. In that regard, it's almost like a meritocracy. Almost. (laughs) Almost. But the worst thing that I would say about Twitter is that as a platform, they have not yet developed a good way to deal with harassment. That is correct. um, I don't know what the answer to that question is. It seems like a lot of people whose accounts get shut down just turn right around and make an account, uh, make a new one with a new email address and a new ISP. And as long as it's easy to get both of those things, then it's not going to be easy to control who can use Twitter. Yeah, we need some sort of retinal scan uh, implemented into Twitter where you have to put in your Ooh, social security yeah. number. To log in or something. Uh, Some Jason Bourne shit. Yeah, you have to scan your passport. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Oh, that'd be great. I would stamp up my passport so fast that way. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then her her follow-up question, favorite place in the world and why? Oh, that is a really, really hard one. Um, Oh, I don't know. Uh, I've always loved the Latin Quarter of Paris. Because from an American's perspective, it is just so fucking old, you know, like old in this country constitutes things that are like 200 years old or 300 years old. Whereas in a lot of Europe and elsewhere, old is like 2000 years old or 3000 years old. So living like right within you know, historic buildings or in places where incredibly important events in history happened, just to be like living right amongst them. The novelty for me has never worn off. Um, There is a Roman arena in the Latin Quarter in Paris. I think it's about 1100 years old and it's just, it's a park, you know, like you can go and sit in the seats Uh, And just have a glass of wine and chat with your friends. People often play soccer in the pit, and uh, that's incredible to me. I I am a little bit of a closeted history buff, so I always really enjoy that. Um, I also really love Peru. Okay. Actually, kind of for similar reasons. I, I trekked the Inca Trail, and once again, I just kind of can't believe that they let you, like, just go right into the ruins and, like, just check out these Incan cities. Um, so that was something I really loved doing. And the Amalfi Coast in Italy, it's it's like The Little Mermaid. Oh, nice. Like, it looks like a Disney movie. Yeah, that's with that, those pristine blue waters, right? Oh, totally. And, you know, they're warm. They're, like, bath water, and they are so still... And it's so deep. Ugh, that is like my favorite beach in the world, for oh, sure. Yeah. So there you go, Jess. Plethora of answers. And I believe Jess went to Peru as well. I think she... I think she did. She did. So great spot. Everyone check it out. Get out to Peru if you can. Everybody go to Peru. <laughs> like the plane ticket is the worst part. Once you have paid for the plane ticket, ev- like everything is very affordable. 
Yeah, so it balances out in the long run. It really does. Once I mean, it's definitely, cool. definitely more affordable to go to South America than most parts of Europe. Recommended. Okay, uh, so next question comes from our pal Alexa at The Wooden Slurpee. And the question is, how much do you spend on coffee drinks every month? Dun, dun, dun. Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I am a little bit of a caffeine junkie. You do have the pic- it in your uh, picture, your profile picture. You're drinking. Oh, you know what? I get that a lot. That is actually ice cream. That is a vegan root beer float from Von Lewin. And I cannot fucking tell you how many randos have replied <laughs> to tweets that have like a political aspect or a feminist message who have literally said... I don't have to take a blonde girl drinking Starbucks seriously. Whoa. Like, I have gotten that no fewer than half a dozen times from different randos. Dang, randos. Just leave it. It's not Starbucks. It's friggin' ice cream. Yeah, you know, and, like, I never know where to start with it. Like, I know I should be like, hey, you know what? My looks don't disqualify me from having opinions. But my instinct is always to be like, it's not fucking Starbucks, asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> More important thing but, first. But I do like coffee a whole lot, so. Well, there you go. So average spend. Oh, man. You know, probably less than 50 bucks a month because I mostly make it at home. My boss and I, I'd like to say that we trade off on buying each other coffee, but he buys it more often than I do. Like, by a lot. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, that's always good to have, right? So his generosity saves me some money there. Um, and I mostly make it at home, so probably less than 50 bucks a month. All right, completely reasonable. So there you go, Alexa. Um, okay, next question comes from true friend of the show, Timmy, at the Timmy Toes on Twitter. Um, he asks, what's the fastest you've driven a car, and what did you wear on your first day of high school? Ooh, those are excellent questions. So the fastest I've driven a car is probably around 90 miles per hour. Um, The freeways in Nebraska typically have a speed limit of 75 miles per hour, but everybody goes 85. And if you're on an empty one, you you can creep above that 85 mile per hour mark pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say 90, maybe 95 miles per hour, but back in my Midwestern days, I had a crappy little Dodge Neon Sport, so <laughs> not really. I doubt it went like much faster than that. Yeah, not uh, going 0 to 60 in 3.5 or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> not quite. Well, that's pretty fast, so that's about, uh, I don't know, 160 kilometers per hour for our uh, <laughs> Canadian... For your Canadian listeners. And the, oh, uh, man. everywhere else listeners. <laughs> you know, the only good potential thing about like the collapse of this country, of the U.S. as we know it, is that it might finally get us to start using the metric system. So you are a fan of getting on board with metric? I am. I am. The rest of the world does it. It is a better, more sensible base 10 system. We got to do it. I agree. It's we won't. Very we never will. But we <laughs> yeah. You just move the decimal place. Um, so, okay. And what did you wear on your first day of high school? You know, I don't remember. You don't have that first day of school Which is shocking picture? because I like clothes a whole lot. Um, I remember a couple other, like, things I wore for firsts, um, <laughs> some of which I won't share, but, like, for my first ever concert, 
which was Weezer, by the way, nice. um, which was excellent. I wore this like really light pair of bell bottom jeans and I had this lilac cap sleeved t-shirt from the Delia's catalog. Uh, that was probably like 2001 or 2002. Maybe it was even 2000. So, uh, you know, for the time I was styling. <laughs> yeah. Um, and for my first day of college, I, I remember that like, I wore this bracelet that had all of these bright glass beads on it. And I had this tiny little blue, like electric blue baguette handbag that I wore. And it kind of matched the bracelet, but only a little bit. And um, I had a pair of jeans that I kept for way longer than I should have. I mean, I probably had them up in my closet until like a couple of years ago. <laughs> and I was painfully, painfully shy. Like, I was fucking terrified on my first day of college, and I, I wore that outfit because I knew I would feel good in it, and several years later, I was talking with a good friend about about that first day of college, and she goes, oh my god, I was so intimidated by you, and I was like, what? <laughs> you were intimidated, like, I was intimidated by everything, like, I don't know how you could have possibly been intimidated by me, and she goes... Well, you didn't say anything to anybody, so I thought you were, like, so aloof. And you had that little blue handbag that matched your bracelet, and it was just like, oh, I thought you were so scary, and I figured you were probably a bitch. (laughs) Thankfully, this woman is still one of my very good friends, so my outfit didn't ruin everything. That's great. Uh, uh, Accessorizing is key. Apparently, accessorizing is key to scaring off potential friends. Okay, great. So there you are. Uh, <laughs> next. No, like I said, we're we're very close, but uh, <laughs> it took a little while. Yeah. Well, there you go, Timmy. Uh, those were the answers to your questions. Thanks again for submitting. Um, a couple more questions, and then we'll just be ready to wrap up. So the question is submitted by Hazel Moats uh, at goats with a bunch of O's on Twitter. Um, goats. Uh, so the question is, what is the closest you have ever come to violent death? So that's what I had to think about for a little while, Um, which is probably a good thing. You know, like if I had ever been that close to dying, I I, I would probably remember like real easily. Um, But there's two things I thought of. So once several years ago, I was walking home from work. Uh, It was like a Sunday night and it was pretty quiet. And in spite of the fact that it was pretty quiet, I, I stopped at an intersection and waited for the light to change. And when the light changed, I, I, I stepped out and this car, and this is like in New York City. So city speed limits on residential streets, probably about 25 miles per hour. This car that must have been going 50 or 60, like just whipped out of nowhere within six inches of me. I mean, they came so close to me that I could hear inside the car that the the riders were having like a massive screaming fight. Oh yeah, which is probably why they were distracted enough to run a red. But uh, the the person in the passenger seat saw me and screamed at the top of her lungs, and I heard her say, "You almost just killed. hit someone." <laughs> yeah, and someone was me. It was a total I'm walking here situation. So it really does happen. It does. I mean, they came out of nowhere. Like I said, it was 
late on a Sunday night. The streets were empty. I was still waiting for the walk light. Yeah, it was nuts. Yeah, good thing you didn't cheat. Uh, don't cheat on the walk sign, everybody, because those people who run red lights don't care about you. <laughs> oh, that is especially true in New York. Like, detectives will sometimes say in interviews that if you want to murder somebody in New York City, the best best way to do it is to run them over and make it look like a hit and run because the laws here do not favor pedestrians. Dang. In China so, too, fun right? Fact. In China, it's pretty bad. They had laws like uh, if you kill the person, you kind of get off. <laughs> not great. What? Yeah. So anyways, we get to the final question by future friend of the show, author Eileen Kurtwright. Thank you for your question, Eileen. She asks... What's the case for vacationing in Nebraska? And has a stranger ever made a shocking confession to you on public transit? Very specific questions. Thank you, Eileen. Ooh. Okay. Um, so the case for vacationing in Nebraska, I'm going to be straight with you and say that there aren't many cases. Um, you know, I mean, it's a lovely Midwestern state. Lincoln and Omaha are totally fine. Um, Lincoln and Omaha are Nebraska's biggest cities, which is to say they pretty much both feel like oversized suburbia. Um, but Lincoln is a college town. There's a lot of good restaurants. There's a lot of nightlife. Omaha is pretty much like Lincoln twice. Um, <laughs> but if you drive out to Western Nebraska, it is almost completely empty and it's, it's almost otherworldly. Like the Badlands and the Sand Hills are geographically unique. I mean, I've never seen anything like them anywhere else. And um, most of the population of Nebraska is concentrated in, like, the southeast corner of the state. So you get out into western Nebraska, and there's really nobody there. I mean, there's no signs of human habitation pretty much beyond the roads and the road signs themselves. And the sand hills are like, they're like being on the surface of Mars. I mean, there are some really beautiful, rock formations out there uh it's pretty cool it's it's worth a drive yeah that sounds really interesting like the desolate nature of the whole thing it is very desolate it's kind of like montana yeah well badlands right like that's a montana has badlands too you guys got badlands we do how come there's badlands but no good lands <laughs> I probably apologize. because humans take all good things for granted so when things Things are good. We're just like, eh, it's fine. Yeah, it doesn't need a name. That's just regular land. <laughs> the regular lands. Yeah. Okay, well, that's it. You have successfully answered all of the questions. Thank you, everyone, for submitting questions. Thank you, Gwen, so much for answering all the questions. And I think that basically brings us to the end of the show. Gwen, is there anything you'd like to wrap up with? No, just that I'm so glad to have been able to do the show, and um, I trust you to edit out any parts where I sounded stupid, and um, this has been a lot of fun. Great. I will definitely edit out all of those parts, and... Uh, <laughs> You're going to be left with like a three-minute interview. <laughs> yeah, it'll be one of our shorter episodes, but we'll... <laughs> <laughs> I'll make the intro and outro longer. Uh, maybe you want to mention your recommendations. Uh, you recommended the book Euphoria by Lily King. That is a wonderful, wonderful transporting novel that I would recommend to almost anyone. Um, it is loosely, loosely based on the uh, 
the anthropologist, what was her name? Margaret Mead. It's fictionalized, but it's a, it's a novel about a female anthropologist in the early 1930s working in South America. And, um, yeah, there are some definite parallels to Margaret Mead in the story. And it's just a fantastic book. Like, read it on an airplane and... I swear to God, it will make you so much more appreciative of like wherever you're traveling. Great. Well, thank you so much for that recommendation. I have a link in the show notes. Um, so I guess that's it. Thank you very much to Gwen for joining us at Miss Gwen L on Twitter. Everyone for sure. Give her a follow. And um, yeah, and then I'll wrap the show up by playing the song and we can all say goodbye. Works for me. Great. So bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Gwen, thank you again. Thank you. And hopefully there's no mice in your apartment. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Gwen. Well, that's it. Episode 8 in the bag. Thank you so much to Gwen for joining me this week, and thank you for listening all the way to the end of the show, which this is. Please remember to follow the show on Twitter at FOTSPod, and maybe follow me at SkinnerSteven, and maybe follow Gwen at Ms. Gwen L, and maybe check out all the other episodes of the podcast uh, with all my other friends, and listen to future episodes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 